I know there's people who come from scratch and they'll they'll just partner it out and partner it out. But everything you got to partner out, you've given up more of the pie. You know, if you're like paying for somebody to put up the hard money or you're paying for somebody to, you know what I mean? And you're not co-investing. I like to be able to bring the money to the table and and fully participate. And I like, you know, the more the more of the deposit, more of the hard, you know, deposit I put up, the the more of the pie I get, the the more of the the other soft costs up front, the more I invest in it, you know, the better it works out long term. This is the Passive Wealth Strategy Show, the show that will help you escape the Wall Street casino and build multiple streams of passive income with real estate. I'm your host, Taylor Lote, and today our guest is Sterling Chapman. And today we're digging into his strategy using flips, flipping real estate, flipping single family properties to fuel his apartment building investments. We dig into the strategies, the systems, the tools, everything that he uses to streamline his flipping strategy so that he can build passive income through those, build big lumps of income through selling his flips, and then funnel that into his apartment building acquisitions and investments. We talk about how he gets all of his flips done. He's going to do 25 flips this year. That's really incredible. And most flippers are nowhere near getting that much done. And we talk about what differentiates him and his flipping business from those who get you know one or two flips done per year. Great lessons in this one. You're gonna learn a ton, especially if you're out there, you're thinking about flipping real estate and you're not sure how to build those systems. Sterling's gonna teach you about how he gets it done. Great lessons in this one. Once again, I'm your host, Taylor Vote. I'm a real estate investor and I focus on commercial, multifamily and self-storage investment properties. If you'd like to learn more about potentially investing with us on a future deal, just go to investwithtaylor.com Fill out the form and schedule a call, and we will look forward to speaking with you soon. If you're an Apple Podcasts user and you enjoy the show, please take a moment and leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Five stars if you don't mind. I appreciate that so much. That helps other people learn about the show because that helps us rank higher in the Apple Podcasts ecosystem. And I'm always honest with you guys. That gives me a nice little warm and fuzzy feeling because I get to see your ratings, I get to see your reviews, and I get to see that you're escaping the Wall Street Casino along with us. Don't forget to subscribe and catch us here every Monday, Tuesday, and Thursday. Right now, once again, our guest is Sterling Chapman from Cressworth Capital. Here we go. Sterling, thank you so much for joining us today. For our listeners out there who don't know about you and your background, can you tell us quick about who you are and what you do in real estate? Sure. Thanks for having me, Taylor. My name is Sterling Chapman, and I, I, I have a company called Crestworth Capital. We also have a company called uh, Serenity Home Solutions and Michael Paul Properties. So I started in 2018. I started buying uh, single family rental properties. I initially started putting down a deposit, you know, putting a down payment down and, and buying it, you know, 20% down. And I very quickly ran out of money. And then I went and started burying houses and duplexes and fixing them up and built a, a pretty substantial rental portfolio down here in South Louisiana where I live and um, managed myself and went crazy trying to do that. And so in late 2019, I started, I got interested in apartment syndication. So I started my podcast and, and, and started networking a lot with apartment syndicators. And um, after kind of banging my head against the wall for about a year, finally, bought my first apartment syndication project in uh, February of 2021. Then this year, I've, you know, we've since brought several other apartment buildings. 
and uh, have come to find out that it's a, a rather expensive hobby. So since <laughs> since I had the the infrastructure in place, sourcing distressed houses and also fixing them up, we decided to actually start flipping some houses. So sold six so far this year, and I've got another eleven under construction right now. Um, aiming to to flip about twenty twenty five houses this year, just to move those funds over to our apartment business. That's a quick rundown. There's a there's a, a lot other that you can ask. <laughs> what details you want? Awesome. Well, you got a maybe it's not the best way to put it, but you've got your hands in a, in a couple of pots here in the real estate space, which is great, you know, building diversification and using the flip strategy to generate capital for your apartment investments. And there's a lot of things we could dig into here, but one thing that I like to talk about when we talk with flippers who are more prolific and are getting more done are the business systems and the strategies and tools that you have in place to flip all of those properties. Because most flippers will do one, two a year, and then they're like, man, I am out of time and out of money to get this stuff done. So let's dive into that and talk about just the whole process of how you're getting deals done, sourcing them, finding the money, you're using it to generate money, which a lot of people, again, run out of their own capital. So let's walk through that, all your strategies to do all of these flips. Sure. So it, it is a lot of work and, and you do run out of money. I, I had a buddy of mine that, that was flipping a bunch of houses the other day. He posted on Facebook yesterday. He goes, how come nobody told me that I'd be so broke flipping houses? And I'm like, oh, so true. The problem with flipping houses is you pay everybody like right now and then you don't get paid for four months. So I guess the, the kind of the systemic things, systematic things that make it a little easier for me to scale at the, the rate I do is one, I don't, I don't do any type of like direct to seller marketing. So I have get all of my deal flow from wholesalers in the local market. So I've got, uh, I've got a list on the wall of like, I think there's 17 wholesalers on the list that I just call every week and I just take them out to lunch and, you know, I wrote them checks for their marketing. I've done all kinds of things wow. to, to build that relationship. And then I'm very, public about like when I buy houses and when I fix up houses and you know my close friends give me shit because they're like oh you know Sterling's just on social media bragging about how much money he's making like, I don't really care if anybody knows how much money I'm making I want social media because I want those wholesalers to see Sterling closes houses every week if I have a house that I want to sell I know Sterling will close on because nothing's worse for a wholesaler than they get a deal under contract and then somebody says oh I'll buy it and then they get to the end of the contract period and that falls through and then they lose the contract. You know, we also host a local meetup. You know, a lot of people listen to the podcast. So I've just done a lot to kind of be in the middle of the, the real estate investing community from a networking standpoint. So that those, those things have really helped with my, my deal flow. And then with the, with the construction side, you know, we have at this point, we have, you know, our guys just do our, our projects and, and nobody else's and they, they run the projects, they run the materials. I have an operations manager that works in my office that, you know, he coordinates and he does, you know, he makes sure the utilities get cut over. He makes sure the lockbox gets put on the door. He makes sure the dumpsters get delivered. He makes sure, you know, that the, the, ins- we do pre-inspections before we sell them. He makes that sure that gets scheduled, make sure the, the things that need to be coordinated are coordinated throughout the process. And then also I have a realtor that goes by and, you know, I don't even go to these houses anymore. 
So, you know, I have a realtor that goes by with blue tape and puts it on all the different, you know, spots where they miss paint or they, you know, there was rotten fascia they forgot to replace or whatever. And, you know, and so, you know, that's, that's, that's the, the systems we put in place is I pretty much, you know, I feel like this topic has come up so many times. In <laughs> I just, I outsource everything immediately. Right. Like, so I, when I first started buying rental properties, I, I was self-managing and it was like, it was terrible. And I was like, I was in this thing for freedom. And like, you know, I, I went from selling broadband to managing tenants that were lying and stealing and clogging toilets. And it's like, man, I'd rather sell broadband. Like, this isn't <laughs> at all. And so I just kind of like got into this deal where like, as soon as I can outsource it, I will. And it's just made me, it's, it's helped me scale so fast. You know, I've said it a bunch of times, but like I, I hired a property manager at 26 units and, and, you know, I've got way, way, way more than that now. But if I, if I never did hire that property manager, I'd still have 26 units. You know, a lot of people want to go and do the work and the flip themselves. Well, it's going to take a long time. You know, you're probably not going to like it. That's hard work. So, you know, that's, that's, that's kind of it. We, we, you know, outsource everything we can. Nice. I like that. And that, that can be hard to do when you're scaling up a business and hard to swallow that pill of, okay, this feels like it's going to cost me money because it, it is going to cost you money in the short term until yeah. it starts to generate results. Now, I'd like to rewind you know, back to the beginning there, just starting with how you get your deal flow. So working with wholesalers, I thought that was interesting how you dug into specific actions that you're taking with those wholesalers, calling them on a weekly basis, taking them out to lunch, even paying for some of their marketing, which is... Yeah. I don't know if I've ever heard of anybody actually doing that, but that's a creative strategy. Yeah. In that vein, when you're paying for their marketing, do you establish an agreement with them? That's hey, any lead no. you get from this, you don't you don't have an agreement with them at all on that. It's just goodwill. No, it's it's hey, how much? Like, I'll see somebody come into the market and and they're willing to do the work, and I'm not willing to do the work. But I've got, <laughs> I've got a, I've got extra money on occasion, right? And I, and they're but they're willing to do the work, but they can't afford like a lot of. There's no barrier to entry to wholesaler, right? Mm -hmm. So you, I mean, they could have somebody straight off the streets from a poor community that just doesn't have resources to dump into it. But they watch some YouTube videos and they know what to do, and they've got like the the hustle mentality. They just don't have like some of this stuff just requires investment. So I've, I've on occasion said like, how much are you spending on marketing? Like 300 bucks a month. I'm like, could you, do you think you could like kick up more deals if you had a thousand a month? Yeah, that'd be great. So I'm like, all right, well, come to my office and I'll give you, you know, I'll give you a thousand dollars to kick off your first month's marketing and just think about me whenever you have some deals come up, you know, I don't make them guarantee they're going to do it. You know what I mean? But, but just, you know, helping it. I, I've, I've found helping everybody. I possibly can makes more people want to help me. You know, a lot of people said with the meetup, I mean, I've got, I've got, I've got people that never quite took off in real estate because that, you know, that they, they would have their wholesalers that would bring them deals and like, they wouldn't tell you who they were. They didn't want to share their resources. They're like, like Scrooge McDuck greedy with all of their resources <laughs> with their hands closed. And what happens is like, nobody really wants to do anything for them. So what I do with my meetup is I take every wholesaler I know, every single one on the, every single one on the list, I bring them to a meeting spot. And then I invite every cash buyer I know. I invite my friends that want to start investing in real estate and I stick them in the same room. And I'm like, you guys need to talk to each other. You need to get on his list. And, and so the idea there is that I'm like, I'm creating my own competition and I'm giving, you know, away all of my resources. And I'll, I promise you as counterintuitive as it seems, I, I have 10 X the number of deals I get ever since I started doing that. 
because it's it's just that abundance mentality. Like there's no shortage of opportunity. There's no shortage of resources. It's just resourcefulness, you know. And since I'm so willing to help people, they they go out of their way. Even the wholesalers, you know, like people don't typically don't wholesale long, right? When they, once they realize, especially in the market we've been in over the last couple of years with money being free and everybody's giving it to everybody, like once they wholesale a handful of deals, they figure out like I could probably keep these, right? I could mm-hmm. probably just you know use like a, a hard money type lender and keep it as a rental or do the flip myself. And so I give them the my lenders and my you know my hard money people. And I set them up so that they can now do the deals instead of selling them to me, which seems counterintuitive. <laughs> yes, it seems it does. Like, yes, it does. But you know what? Like they can't do them all. And and when when they get three of them going on at once and they're like, holy shit, I can't, but they're still doing marketing and they have another opportunity come in. They, dude, Sterling set me up. He's the one who got me. I, I owe him this. And they'll, they'll, they'll call me with that. And it's, I mean, it's happened over and over and over again. Wow. That is really something, but I really appreciate that abundance mentality that you have now. And I, I love starting a meetup as well. That's been very productive for me too. So the other aspect of this is obviously the, the teams and the systems on your end. So you can actually execute on these deals when you have them. You mentioned you have your own in-house construction crews, that kind of a thing, operations manager, all that. But you had to hit that scale for that to even be feasible, right? So how did you build up to that point where you could have those teams just working on your deals? Yeah. So it's it's weird. It's it's a because you can't start that way, right? You don't have any resources. You can't just like do it day one. And so I don't really know what that crossover point for everybody is. And I can't name the date that it happened to me. I just kind of like looked up one day and I was like, oh, after banging my head against the wall for these, all these years, it finally started clicking. <laughs> but, but like my, you know, when I first started managing rental properties, I was, I was cleaning the toilets myself. I was, I was picking up trash out of the neighbor's yard before I sh- drove, you know, I drive across town three times a day to show the unit and pick up trash out of the neighbor's yard so that my house looked like it was in a better neighborhood. You know what I mean? And, and I did, I did all of it. And then, you know, over time, I just, as I grew the resources, I was able to offload more and more. So like the first, the first renovation we did, I actually, I had no, I had no uh, experience. I had no idea how to do anything. And, and so I partnered with a house flipper who, who hired a general contractor who hired these guys to to do the work, you know, and I saw that and I said, well, next time, next time I can cut out one of those layers, the next time I can cut out one of those layers. And, and I just, you know, eventually as I started getting more deals and my guys just got busier with me, they just, it just evolved into they didn't have time to work for anybody else. And then <laughs> and they were always three months behind on my projects, you know? So that's another big part you mentioned about folks not wanting to share their productive wholesalers in the local markets. Another thing that people can be kind of stingy with are the really good contractors. You know, they don't want to share their contractors' names. Now you're at a point where your guys are completely occupied, you know, with your deals, but way back when when they weren't hundred percent busy with your deals, were you sharing their names around? Like what was your your strategy, you know, with them? I was, and it almost universally backfired because this is a weird subject I've ever dove into, but like it, when you're dealing with lower cost labor, there's, there's sometimes a tendency to like cut corners and, and have sub quality work. And if you're aware of what you're dealing with and you just manage it appropriately and you follow behind and say, this has to be fixed, this has to be fixed, you know what I mean? Then 
then it's a very like it all ends all, all is well that ends well mm-hmm. and and you you've saved a ton of money and you end up with a quality product but if you're sharing that with somebody who's not prepared to manage it effectively the the result is they're going to get like a, a sub quality work and it, or you know that the, the person's not going to care as much about that job because it's a one-off versus me who they do the repeat business for and there's this like back and forth animosity of like they did a crappy job or they didn't finish on time or and it just it, it got to the point where i just i didn't mind sharing but i didn't want to deal with the crap of people complaining about me sharing anything so so the problem was it wasn't that it wasn't the sharing aspect of it it was that the folks you wound up sharing the these contacts with weren't really prepared to do all the back end kind of management of the contractors. That yeah, was really I mean they they wanted they wanted a hundred thousand dollar job done for thirty thousand dollars, <laughs> but they wanted it to be done like it was a hundred thousand dollars. And I'm like, well, then go pay somebody a hundred thousand dollars because if you know if you're paying them thirty thousand dollars, you're gonna have to like follow up and you're gonna have to inspect and they're probably gonna have to come back and do some correction. You know. Yeah. Okay. That's reasonable. That makes sense. Okay. So now let's talk about how you're using this strategy to fund your apartment investments. Because I think another one of the downsides, I always crap on flipping on the show, but one of the downsides of flipping that people don't really realize. I did too. So I I feel like this is worth mentioning. So I, I was investing in real estate for three years before I ever flipped a house. So a lot of people start flipping houses and they go, they look up a few years later and they go, oh, I should have held some. And then, oh, I should invest in apartments. So I was, I was, I'd already had a 70 unit rental portfolio and buying apartment complexes before I ever flipped a house. I always crap on flipping because it's, you know, you're trading time for money. You're, you got another job, all the same reasons you're crapping on flipping. But what I found was I had the, I had the, the resources in place between my construction crews and my wholesalers that like I was leaving a ton of money on the table because when you talk about apartment, you know, like, yeah, you can, you can syndicate apartment complexes without any money, but like I find my strategy, you can kind of supercharge it, right? Cause if, if you, if you don't have any money or you have a W2 sales job or, you know what I mean? Or whatever that, that, that's really probably just paying your bills and a little bit of savings. That's not like you're not, you're not coming up with an extra 50 K an extra hundred K like on the regular, right? Like, like you would want to if you're really moving in the apartment complex community. But like, you know, a lot of the, especially in 2021 and stuff, when it was like super competitive, you were going hard on a hundred grand day one, you know mm-hmm. what I mean? Or you're spending 20 grand on the, the, the syndication, the securities attorney, you, you know, you're spending this money on, 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 you know, all these like upfront costs. And then, and then if you, you know, we've always kind of followed out, I, I don't think it's the law, but and we've always kind of like, I don't, I don't raise capital for any project that I'm not investing in. So like every time you buy apartment complex, like, oh, there goes another hundred grand. I just invested, you know, I'll see that in five years. <laughs> right. So like, it's an expensive hobby, you know what I mean? Like there's people who can do it, right? Like I know there's people who come from scratch and now they'll, they'll just partner it out and partner it out, but everything you got to partner out, you, you've given up more of the pie. You know, if you're like paying for somebody to put up the hard money and you're paying for somebody to, you know what I mean? And you're not co-investing. I like, to be able to bring the money to the table and, and like fully participate. And I like, you know, the more, the more of the deposit, more of the hard, you know, deposit I put up, the, the more of the pie I get, the, the more of the, the other soft costs up front, the more I invest in it, you know, the better it works out long term. 
So that's kind of my, my okay. So you're, it's funny how you put it. It's a good point that apartments are an expensive hobby to be investing in. And they are, it's big checks to get involved. If you're taking down deals, it could be six figures hard on day one just to get it under contract. There's no guarantee you're going to close. And if you don't, you lose that money, which is uh, pretty painful. Fortunately, I've never been through that, but it's very possible. So you're using the kind of lumpy cash flows of flipping houses to then fuel further apartment acquisitions, not to pay your lifestyle. Right. I got you right. Okay. Okay. Another thing that I, I kind of give flipping a hard time about is when people kind of set out, it's not something that's discussed is flipping is very high taxes. Tax is ordinary income. It's not a less well, low capital gains rate of, of tax, but you probably knew that going in. Well, again, it, and, and another thing is flipping is risky, right? Mm-hmm. So, but you know, I always, I was always so against flipping in the early days because like the, I always said like, that's because, pe- you know, when I first started buying rental properties, people were like, oh, re- real estate's risky. Remember 2008? I'm like, well, the people that lost money in 2008 were these house flippers that had like six month loans and then, you know, the market tanked and they couldn't sell their project and they had five of them and that's why they went belly up. Understand I had a multi-million dollar portfolio backing me before I even started to flip houses. So like my risk was mitigated by my backup resources. Like I could handle it, right? I could, I mean, I, I could, I could handle losing a hundred grand on a house. Like I could absorb it. I mean, I never have, I've never <laughs> lost, a, I've never lost a penny on a house, but, but I, if it happened, I could absorb it. And, and I couldn't in the early days, you know what I mean? And, and so that it's a whole different ball game today for where I'm at in my journey. But what what you what was your point? I had a comment on that. The too. tax rate being the very tax. high in flips. Yeah. So so I'm taking the money I'm earning from the flips and I'm investing them in, in in our apartment syndications, which we're doing cost segregation studies on, which we're doing you know 100 bonus depreciation. So I'm I'm I am offsetting a, most, if not all, of that taxes. So this year. Uh, you know, this is the first year I'm really flipping the houses. We're investing a ton of money in apartment syndications. And then we're also going in and doing a cost seg study on my single family portfolio. And we're going to use that to offset it. So, I mean, I'm not going to pay much taxes at all on a whole, whole <laughs> lot of gains. That's great. And you have that overall strategy to do your taxes and mitigate some of those those high taxes. And you knew that going in. You do and we're kind of blindsided on the back end with a, a substantial tax bill, which I think is is just too common in the in the flipping space. Yeah. So I think the the biggest couple of lessons that I'm pulling out of this, and maybe our listeners are getting something different, but it's adding value to others by sharing your contacts. It's really building robust systems as you can continue to scale, outsource everything that you possibly can, and then get out there and, and network and, and meet people. That's it. Nice. I love it. Right now, we're going to take a quick break for our sponsor. The first step to growing your wealth is tracking your wealth, income, spending, and everything else about your finances. You can start tracking your wealth for free and get six free months of wealth advisory with personal capital by going to escapingwallstreet.com and using our link. Create your free account today and automate the way you track your money. Personal capital is my preferred way to track my finances, and now we're making that available for listeners. Terms and conditions apply. See the personal capital website for details. Once again, to get the offer, go to escapingwallstreet.com and use our link. Back to the show. All right, Sterling, I've got three questions I ask every guest on the show. Are you ready? Sure. Great. First one, what is the best investment you ever made other than in your education? 
I like how you say other than your education. <laughs> that's that's a very much like the best one. But I would say, I mean, it's it's really hard to tell. You know, flips are can be very lucrative. You know, I, I we sold I, I sold two flips earlier this year that I cleared over a hundred and ten grand on each one. Nice, you know, and that was a three three month project that I was totally invested in two hundred grand. You know, so. So, I mean, you got to, I mean, if you look at just straight ROI and you, you, you look at it over time and like return on investment, like that, the, Brandon Turner told me this the other day. He's like, dude, the, the highest return you get on your money is flipping house, but it's, it's a serious. So, <laughs> you know, there's like a, there's a continuum of where you like the return. You know, people always talk about like the, the risk return, like continuum, right? And how those are related, but it, there's, there's really like a, like a, a, a work return continuum as well. So, I mean, some of our apartment projects have done very well, but, but you can't compare to like, you know, getting a 50% return in three months. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. That's great. So we had the best investment. Now we go to the other side of that coin, the worst investment. What is the worst investment you ever made? So I think that two come to mind. So the first, the first house that I bought, and this, I don't know, it's the worst investment. It's just a funny story. But the first house that I bought, I was planning on, you know, I, I put $14,000 down. It was a $75,000 house and rented for $10.50 a month. The note was $5.50 a month. So I was making $500 a month cash flow. And I was like, dude, I'm rich. I'm making six grand a year. Now, in reality, you know, you've got a lot of other costs in there, right? When, when it comes to like property management, vacancies, repairs. And then we had like a $3,000 plumbing disaster with, with, with the, with where the, the tub was supposed to be drained. And then we had a sewer line that we had to jack up the slab. And that was another $9,000 disaster. So my $6,000 in cash flow that year turned into, you know, subtract 14 grand from it. Ooh. That hurt. But what hurt even worse, we had, there was another sponsor that was trying to put together a deal that I didn't know very well, but it seemed like a really good opportunity where they just needed some additional capital for to extend, to extend, a, to try and get the, the, the equity group to come in and, and close the deal. And we ended up losing, losing the capital. The equity group never came in and the, the project fell out of contract. And so we lost all that money. Well, my favorite question here at the end of the show is what is the most important lesson you've learned in business and investing? I would say, I think I talked about it earlier, but it's, you know, what makes a good business person is not being a shrewd negotiator. It's not trying to squeeze every dime out of the last deal. I try to like my contractors work for me because their the general contractor was not paying them and I went and paid them a second time after I'd already paid the general contractor. Wow. I, I give them bonuses. I went when a wholesaler, you know, I, I'll like I said, I've paid wholesalers marketing fees. I've given them bonuses at closing. I any I never negotiate when people send me a project that can work for me. I don't I don't think that squeezing being a shrewd negotiator and squeezing every last dime out of the deal is what makes you a good business person. I think what makes you a good business person is having everybody want to do business with you over and over again. And I think a lot of people miss that. Nice. Nice. I like that. Well, Sterling, thank you so much for joining us today, sharing all these lessons. If folks want to reach out, if they want to get in touch with you, if they want to learn more about what you're up to or anything like that, where can they track you down? Uh, they can go to our website, crestworthcapital.com. Email me, sterling at crestworthcapital.com or, or check us out on the Rent Roll Radio Show, that's our podcast, or, or Facebook, Instagram, to Sterling R. Chapman. 
Awesome. Well, thank you once again for joining us today. To everybody out there, thank you for tuning in. If you're enjoying the show, please leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Five stars if you don't mind. I appreciate that so much. That helps other people learn about the show because that helps us rank higher in the Apple Podcast ecosystem. And I'm always honest with you guys. That gives me a nice little warm and fuzzy feeling because I get to see that you're engaging with the content and you're escaping the Wall Street Casino along with us. Don't forget to subscribe and catch us here every Monday, Tuesday, and Thursday. Right now, I hope you have a great rest of your day and we'll talk to you on the next one. Bye-bye.